You're very welcome along to this week's episode of the 16th Man GA podcast here by Pundit Arena. I'm Brian Barry with Joel Slattery as always. We're going to start this week, Joel. We're going to be chatting through a lot of the big games and all the major talking points. But one place to start is, I suppose, the lovely seaside venue or the riverside venue of Porky Cueve. uh, Kind of dubbed now Plage de la Cueve or something pitch was terrible i was there on saturday or sunday afternoon myself it was absolutely freezing up in the press box but down on the pitch the major talking point aside from cork losing both games to cavan and the football and watford and the hurling was the shocking state of the field they've i think it's 70 million was pumped into this stadium to completely redevelop it and that wasn't an acceptable playing surface for junior hurling anything let alone senior into county yeah that was absolutely shocking i was watching the Watching the hurling on TNG, obviously they showed up the third, and you're just looking at it, and it's it's just unbelievable to watch Division One hurling in that in that state of a field. Um, obviously, you know you see we're talking before we came on air about the lack of sunlight that comes with the big stands, and obviously in the old Parky Cueve, one of the stands wasn't covered, so it was open to get proper sunlight, which you don't have now. And like you mentioned, the seventy million price tag to spend seventy million on a stadium, and obviously not even think about what's going to happen to the pitch, kind of, it's, it's a bad look for Cork. Sure, I'm absolutely no expert on it now, but I assume that's a problem for every big stadium, the lack of sunlight because there's big stands and sunlight is going into them. You go into per- Crow Park during the week for any media gig, etc., for any press conference, you look out onto the field and they have the fancy uh, grass-growing lights over it. It's probably just the park needs something like that. I remember even last year, last summer, the pitch wasn't in great shape. It was down a while for those hurling quarterfinals. But especially underneath the main stand, because I think that area of grass was laid later than the rest of it because they were using it as a as a road for all the building machinery kind of going up and down. So that was actually laid later than it. And was, I remember Shane O'Donnell playing out in that corner against Tipperary. The ground was cut up. He kept on losing his feet. And that happened throughout. Um, they obviously just laid a load of sand down on it for drainage purposes, whatever. But players were losing their feet, and I don't want to go full Helen Lovejoy here, but somebody could have got injured. You know, imagine somebody did their cruciate. One of the Watford hurlers or something did their cruciate, and they're out for the year. But like you mentioned as well, like Joe Croke Park has that the grass-growing lights, and like every city in England has a, a you know, the big cities have Premier League stadiums, they have rugby stadiums. Like, there's so many examples that they could have gone. Like, you know, they obviously left no stone unturned in building such a modern stadium. So... It seems they just didn't ask, oh, by the way, how would you keep the pitch nice? Yeah, exactly, the most important thing. So it did really affect um, the play that we're going to chat about later. But we're going to start out with football. And I think the big talking point of the weekend, well, something that did have a lot of people talking, especially on Sunday evening, was the red card to own Doyle in over Gumshield Gate, we'll call it. Keen O'Neill was absolutely fuming after the game. He said... He was quoted as saying, absolutely disgrace- disgraceful. He shouldn't have, he, that being the referee, David Goff, shouldn't have restarted the game until the player went off the pitch. He sprinted over to the line and called, I need to get a gum shield. He went for the ball. Even a child at four years of age will know what you do when a ball is kicked to you. Your reaction is to go for the ball. He caught it while he's still running over to us. The referee didn't even realise he had given him a yellow card. So what happened here, he gets... A slap on the wrists for not wearing a gum shield, which is a rule now. And apparently, all people are saying David Goff is very consistent and strict on this. 
and then Doyle is running off the field to get the gum shield. The goalkeeper Donlan looks up, sees a free man, didn't realise what was going on, so he kicks the ball to him. Doyle, in the referee's eyes, should have just ignored the ball, ran over straight to get the gum shield. He caught the ball and the ref blew it up. Now, Colin O'Rourke was saying on the Sunday game, the, or Alliance League Sunday, on Sunday evening, that the rules are black and white and Keane O'Neill has no, has no argument. I think it's somewhere in between. For me, I think David Goff just needs to display... He's right, I suppose. Black and white, the rules say that that is a yellow card offence. But I think just a small bit of common sense. Just say, here, look, retake that, blow the whistle. He's actually going off to get his gum shield. And then that's it. That's over with. Yeah, I think there's probably, um, I suppose, a small bit of Colin O'Rourke defending his, his fellow Mead man, maybe. so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. Like It is a rule and... You know, fellas who get into refereeing are going to be pedantic about the rules. That's why they're interested in refereeing in the first place. So I don't think, Joe, it's kind of funny that the, the day after Congress you're talking about, Joe, stupid rules or rules you don't agree with. But, like, as I said, you know, it's not, it's not really, I don't think, up to the referee to make sure everyone has a gum shield. It's up to the player to wear his gum shield. And then the referee, if someone isn't wearing their gum shield, he didn't actually book him straight away. He told him to go off and get it. So he actually gave him a chance and he didn't take that chance because he went for the kick out. I get what Keen O'Neill is saying about um Joe about just the common sense element of it, or you're going to instinctively go for a ball. But at the same time, the ref did give him a chance, he didn't book him, he told him to leave the pitch and get it, and then he just didn't take that chance. So maybe a yellow card is too harsh for not wearing your gum shield, but I suppose if there's no punishment, then nobody'll wear them. It's just unfortunate the way it ended up. Sure, absolutely. There's, I'm going to pick you up on two points there. First of all, I think Colin O'Rourke was just on fire on Sunday night. I think he just sat down in the RTE studio to get a rise out of everyone. Like When Jim Gavin was back speaking to RTE straight afterwards, O'Rourke had a quick dig at him, you know, saying his fascinating insights, whatever. Secondly, I think for Goff, it's clearly one of his... Kind of, he's a bit more finicky about it. And I think every referee is a bit finicky, has that one rule. Like, even in a former life, I was a referee at underage games. Technically, you're not allowed... Uh, one that stood out for me, I remember, in some referees' training course, they, well, they kind of stressed, you're not allowed to wear jewellery on the field. Like, not allowed to wear an earring or a chain around your neck. Apparently, something gruesome. Some junior football keeper or something was wearing an earring and he went up to try save a point or something and the earring got caught in the netting on the crossbar there and it ripped half his ear off bit gruesome now apologies for that but it just goes like and then i remember playing a game myself a few months later and the ref wouldn't start the game because some fellow on the other team had a chain around his neck i suppose just 99 times out of 100 you'd get away with that but some refs are just that bit finick finickier that's a word we'll go with it than others i suppose yeah but look i suppose you know the referees have to follow the rules too and I when once your when your grievance is the referee followed the rule to the letter of the law, you don't have a huge leg to stand on, unfortunately. Cool. So Kildare are as good as going down at this stage. They're four losses from four. I think it was scanning the odds, they're one to twenty five to go down. It's it's an interesting one because we'll chat about Cavan now in a minute, who went down last year. And Cavan and Kildare are probably in around the same level they're probably 
like okay one went up last year from division two one went down from division one they're probably in and around those teams that are just on the periphery of the super eights who might be the eighth team to sneak in but it's probably better for Cavan you'd think because they're playing games every week and they're winning games every week as opposed to Kildare they're playing a bit higher standard but they're losing them you know it's all well and good if you're going toe-to-toe with Tyrone and Dublin like they're doing but you still have to pick up the odd win and that's surely draining mentally just losing every single week that's going to be hard to turn it around then yeah I suppose we have this conversation it's kind of almost like a weekly occurrence are you better off winning in a lower division losing at a higher level I suppose you look at the first couple of rounds of Leinster and they're playing Division 2 and they're playing Division 3 teams, that's when you'll see the benefit of playing at a higher standard. Um, I suppose we'll probably talk about it in a second. You mentioned earlier, um, before I started recording, about how the pace was lower in Parky Cueva at a Division 2 game. So there's a difference in standard between the different divisions. So playing at the higher division, playing against the best teams, it has to be a benefit. That being said, you know, so we're going to get to Kevin properly in a second, but when you're winning games, there's nothing like it. Sure, so... That's it. Leash are flying at in Division 4. They're probably too good for Division 4. But there's a strong possibility that Leash will play Kildare in a Leinster football semi-final. And all of a sudden, Kildare to get there will have to play the winner of Loud Carlo. All of a sudden, you might have Leash who've romped their way through Division 4, potentially win the final, etc. Beat Wexford and Westmead in Leinster. Like, there's a serious bit of momentum. And all of a sudden, Kildare... If they lose 8 out of 8 in Division 1, they've nothing really to draw back upon. They haven't won a game all year. Like, I think even though they might possibly go down, and they are going to reap the benefits from it playing against top-tier opposition, don't get me wrong, there are huge benefits to Division 1. They still need, when they go back to, well, to the well, to draw upon something. If they're going down the home straight in a tight game after 60 minutes in the championship, they need to draw back on and think oh yeah, that time we played against Galway in the league or played against Mayo in the league and we came out on top in that game. They need something just to draw back upon. Yeah, and I suppose in this kind of, I suppose this metaphorical semi-final against Leash, you'd imagine playing Division 1, they should be too good for them on paper, they should be. But if it is level going down the stretch and you're looking to the subs bench and you're bringing on guys who are used to coming on when it's in the melting pot and you lose, that's another, I suppose, negative aspect. So they, they won't want to lose out. They'll want to get at least one win, even if it doesn't save them from relegation. But, um, yeah, obviously losing is a bad habit, and losing close games is almost a doubly bad habit. Sure, absolutely. We're looking forward to that Leinster semi-final between Loud and Westmead, probably at this stage. Um, another team we've chatted a bit about on the show, but we have to chat about them more. They keep on winning as Galway. Four wins from four in Division 1. Like, having come up last year, you were thinking, OK, just survive, get two wins on the board. All of a sudden... They're on eight points after four games. Eight points got Kerry into the final last year. Okay, last year was a bit of a weird year. You'd think it'd be a bit more, but win one more game and they're probably going to be in the league final. Like, it's some year for Kevin Walsh's team. Yeah, fantastic start. Really tough test going down to Tralee to play Kerry and they passed it again with flying colours. You know, this so easily could have been doing this year. What's happening to there? Like, I don't think too many people would be surprised if they'd lost four games, but they've won them. Obviously, that win against Mayo at the start of the year was huge as well. They're playing, well, we spoke about Colin Rock earlier. He had a bit of a dig of their style of play, but look, it's winning games for them and they're beating the best teams in the country. O'Rourke just got up on a fantastic <laughs> side of bed yeah. that morning. Like. But well, and the other thing that's interesting with Galway is um, you know, they play Monaghan this weekend. If they lose to Monaghan, they'll both be on eight and Monaghan will have the head-to-head. So that'll probably knock them out of a final. But if they can beat Monaghan, then they'll have three games in a row 
one will be a final but probably two of those three will be against Dublin and that will really show how where the Scalway team is we've seen what they can do so far they're playing great stuff they're getting those wins winning close games and now if they can Played the dubs twice in a month. They can really show, look, lads, we are here. We are contenders for this All Ireland, not even just Connacht. Yeah, that's it. That's what we have to start talking about. I know it's early days and it's only the league and it's only February and all of that. But Galway have started like they mean to go on, and they've they've beaten, got their big wins over the likes of Kerry, and well, they've beaten three of the traditional big four, the established big four from last year in Mayo, Tyrone, and uh, Kerry now that surely propels them into the conversation we have to start talking about them as a top team not a team who might get good next year is is 2018 the year they finally just hit the ground running and announced themselves as serious contenders well i think they have a great chance of winning that Con- they're probably favorites at this stage to win the connacht championship which will put them into the super eight I actually thought mayo were quite poor against dublin knowing obviously like, they hadn't a full team they had lots of changes here and there i was actually disappointed with mayo again on saturday night so like if Galway can keep up this form, no matter what happens the rest of the, this league campaign, the, their favourites at this moment in time, I think, for the Connacht title. And obviously we don't know how the Super 8 is going to play out. But with the home and away structure and that, you think once you're in that, anything can happen. Uh, I'm not too sure about Mayo. I wouldn't write them off too much. Like they've bigger fish to fry after coming again within a few minutes of ending their, what is it now, is it 50, sorry, 66 going on 67 year wait for Sam Maguire to go back they're like they weren't thinking on that evening Sunday evening in September they weren't thinking okay let's hit the ground running and have a good league campaign and get to a league final they were thinking we're getting back here next year and not making the same mistake that seems to be an annual kind of (laughs) promise at this stage but again like this time last year was around this time last year they went down to Crow Park and got absolutely walloped by the dubs I don't think they're going to hang their hat in the league and of course, you can read into some teams in the league, like Galway, for instance, and you can read in, like Kildare, for instance, who are losing games, and you're saying, I don't know, like they look to be going for the league, they have a full team out, they're fit and firing, but they're not just not getting over the line. Mayo, we know they have another gear, and they're going to, they mightn't hit their stride till next August, like they did last year, you know. That that said, though, the 15 Mayo have put out the last couple of years, you know, they've been extremely close, but they are falling short. So they do need perhaps one or two new players to come in and improve on last year's team. I think these new guys who are coming in aren't exactly doing that. So that, that is where the concern is from their point of view. Sure. going to move on to Cavan now because I was in Porky Cave on Sunday afternoon. The first thing that struck me was just, I think I had been to, was a three or four Division 1 game so far this year. And you see the pace of the football and dropping down the Division, okay, it's not exactly a, a groundbreaking thing to say but it was visibly slower it was just the quality of striking etc or uh, connection with the ball you know the point taken the sh- shooting everything was just that bit slower and but then all of a sudden in the second half Cavan began to stretch their legs and they were full value for the win I know the pitch was an absolute disgrace but we've already talked about that Matty McLean's team they went down last year having played in division one they look they're the only unbeaten team in Division 2. At the start of the league, people were talking about Mead or bigging up Mead, who've had a terrible start to the league, bigging up Tipperary, obviously Cork again. It's Cavan have done the business and they're the only undefeated team in there. Yeah, they, they've been really impressive now. I suppose it's, kind of, it's hard to keep a close eye in Division 2. It doesn't get the, the best coverage in that, but when you see the results coming in on, on Sunday evenings, it's, 
it's always eye-catching to see that they are going well. It's tough when you come down. Joe, you have to... It does this kind of motivation to try and get back up. You're, you're seeing now what Galway are doing after they go up, after they got promoted. So I don't know if Kevin, even now looking at that and saying, right, get up, join the big boys and just try and compete at the highest level. But again, you're not going to compete at the highest level unless you can beat the Division 2 teams. So if they can see out this league... So they have been a bit of a coming team for the last few years as well. So to really attack, I suppose, Ulster and to attack the Donegal's and Tyrone's, you have to prove that you can hold your own and get over the likes of Tip, the likes of Cork, the likes of Roscommon. So, you know, it's been a, a good start from so far. Sure, they've played four, they've three to go. They're on top, two points clear. They're at home to down on Saturday evening, then a trip to Roscommon, which is going to be, that's okay, that's, one of the standout toughest fixtures in this division you'd think and then at home to Tipperary you'd think even one win might give them a great chance like one win could well see them into uh, back into division one next year two wins guarantees them it like Matty McLean's doing a great job what struck me as well just looking down at my notes and I have the programme in front of me was just the spread of scorers you know they Garoad McKernan didn't even start the other day and he came off the bench scored a point Darren McVitie was up and down that pitch all day. Kieran Brady played well. Quivin O'Reilly, who started, and then the Flanagan both played well. Uh, scored three and two points respectively. Like they weren't dynamic. They weren't. They, like they looked a team the last few years who were relying on one or two players kind of to do the business for them. Relying on Johnson, relying on Gerald McKernan, but it was a team effort. We'll hear. We'll cut now to Matty McLean, who was speaking after the game and did reveal his delight. We're delighted with that there. We're delighted to, to not concede any goals. Uh, yes, we created a couple of good goal chances, but you have to take them at this level of football. I would call this cha- championship turn. And come championship, come May time, you have to take those opportunities. I'm under no illusion the Nemo Rangers boys aren't playing for Cork. They, they make a huge difference to that football team out there. And, you know, we're just delighted to have the two points. We have a lot to learn. We have a lot to work on at training this week. But that's, we're delighted we're still top of the table and that's where I wanted Cavan to be. The lads are superb. I am absolutely, uh, I'm not use the word in love with them because there's too many of them to love. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they're outstanding young men. We sit down and we talk about training and the brilliance of this, this group of men that I work with is they will challenge us, us as much as we challenge them. And we're just... I suppose we're trying to max, our, max our, out our performances. Uh, we're trying to get the best out of the players. That's all we ask of them. That whatever they bring to the table, whatever they bring out over when they cross the white line over 70 minutes, that they give it their all. And we're just delighted to be... Listen, this is a huge venue. To come down here as a, a group of Calvin men and you're coming to a mighty stadium like this here, there's always... You're looking around you and you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is, this is some place. So that was a factor in terms of our performance as well. I thought the boys handled it really, really well. And we're just delighted to be heading up the road. Does this now put you in the driving seat for promotion? Uh, we'll not look really at that there. We have uh, down next Saturday, so it's very much about, I think there's a bit of a tiredness in our performances there because we had to play Mead last week. And mentally, that's a huge task to our players in terms of Mead last week. Now we're, we had to travel to Cork this weekend and we've down who played in Ulster final. So it's very much about rest and recovery and let's mentally get our feet back on the ground. We'll not worry about what's happening on the table. We'll just concentrate. And we're heading back to Kingspan Breffney next Saturday night for down and uh, we'll just rest and recover and take it from there. I'm not worried about who's... Well, I'm delighted we're at the top of the table. So come and get us. 
that was one of my favourite um, manager post-match interviews of the year so far in this show, Joel. I asked him there towards the end, are you in the driving seat for promotion? And he finished off saying, he gave us the, you know, the stereotypical, oh no, taking one game at a time, not looking past down next Saturday night. Then he just kind of changed his mind towards the end and said at the end, actually, I'm delighted we're top of the table, come and get us. <laughs> like... What a fantastic U-turn there, first of all. I think, I think a bit of honesty creeped into it at the end. Um, obviously, the league isn't a primary competition, and they all say it's about one game at a time, but look, they're, they're top-level sportsmen. They are competitive by nature, and they want to see their name at the top of the board. You know, they're, they're not going to training on Tuesday and not bothered about what happens at the weekend. They, they want to be up at the top, and they want to stay there. Yeah, so also the other fantastic aspect of that interview was a group of Cavan men like us coming down to this fantastic stadium, like the most Cavan sentence of all time. Yeah, it's very good coming down, obviously. We spoke earlier about the big stadium, not not the pitch to match the stadium, but it is. I was there to start the year for the for the Cork Tip football and Cork Kenny hurling doubleheader in the first round. And it is, it is a wonderful stadium where we're being fairly critical now of the pitch, but the stadium itself is fantastic, and um, it's great that the Kevin men got to go down there and experience it. Sure, absolutely. So uh, we are going heavy on Kevin. We're just going to give them one more minute. They've got a tough championship draw. They're in the preliminary round of Ulster up against Donegal. So here, nobody's, everybody's talking about Donegal under new management, etc. Kevin are coming in nicely under the radar, away from the bright lights. They're, they're the... They'll be the underdogs for that game, even if they lose it. They're a team who'll on they're in and around the Super Eights. They're probably ranked if you want to rank the teams, probably eight, nine, ten in the country at the moment. They'll want to be in there, and you know that's the goal for them, really, for the year, isn't it? Get into the Super Eights, regardless of not how to go in Ulster. I suppose one thing as well that isn't kind of been too publicised is that was a tough game at the weekend. That was a one p.m. throwing in Cork, so it was a long bus, a long bus journey. And then you to play the match fairly a fairly early throwing, so the fact that they can go the whole way down the country and get the win kind of means if they do end up in the qualifiers, no draw is a bad draw for them. So that's kind of that's something that will fill them with confidence. We spoke earlier about Joe Kildare not having confidence for certain situations, but that's the other factor that's great for Kevin after this win is if they do get a tricky away tie in a qualifier or in an Ulster semi final, they will know that they are more than capable of doing it. Sure, absolutely. We're going to change over to small ball now. It was a big weekend in the hurling. Um, Tip playing Kilkenny. They don't do boring games. Uh, Kilkenny winning out by a point in Nolan Park. Um, Watford going down to Porky Cueve in that game and uh, coming out of the sand, uh, five-point victors. And Davy hosting his old Clare team in Wexford Park. and They won well. We're going to start with Davy and Valerie Wheeler was in Wexford Park for us and she caught up with him after the match. Davey, what did you make of the performance? Happy after that? Um, yeah. Um, we didn't make as many mistakes as last week. Made a few at the end. Um, wouldn't be happy with the goal we conceded. But overall, I thought we fought very well. Won a good few of the 50-50 tackles. So happy happy with that. But it isn't the easiest day to stand against um, where you're from, you know. And what was the dressing room like at halftime when you went in? Were you calm and cool or were you...? Uh, very... Um, we knew with 10 wide state, like we owned the ball in the first half, probably shouldn't have been down. Um, but in general, I was happy with them playing against that strong wind. And we just decided there was no point waiting back um, in the second half, like for them to come at us. 
because sometimes against the wind it can suit the team better and especially with Clare because they play a lot of sharp ball it might suit them so we decided and I kind of knew that I said let's go and attack this and not wait for them to come at us and we did that from day one I think it took them over 20 minutes to get a score in the second half Yeah and when you came out in the second half you were completely dominant but the likes of Roy O'Connor played really well when he came on It did well Lee just Lee, uh, hamstring problem and I wasn't going to chance him and there's too much games left so we, he'll probably be out for a few weeks but we'll, we could have done a lot worse if we left him on there you know a lot of wides would you be concerned about them or <laughs> no, we're doing it all year but we're creating the chances like what did we score today 19 or 20 points again today probably should have had 26 or 7 like today you know but we're getting the opportunity so that's a big thing Kill Kenny next now yeah yeah it gives us a chance to try out a few players so we'll probably try out a few different players we're not under pressure next week which is great you know so Wexford home and hosed into the quarter finals <laughs> Davey said at the end okay they've Kilkenny next up and He's just made the point, okay, we can not, okay, I suppose, take the foot off the pedal, so to speak. That's not going to happen, is it? Kilkenny, like, you saw managers getting sent to the sidelines. There was a riot in the Walsh Cup final. You know, league is above Walsh Cup. Like, the history with Kilkenny, the recent history over the last year or so, they're going to be up for this, they're going to be fired up. Yeah, well, Davey never takes the foot off the pedal. <laughs> he goes gung-ho for every game. I was thinking about this one, and it's it's strange because there's kind of the, I suppose, trying to get the balance between do you want to like make a statement before they meet in Leinster, which could be almost like for to play Galway in a Leinster final, or do you want to not reveal your hand? So it is it is a strange one. It'll be interesting to see how both managers approach it. Will they keep will they name like their strongest fifteens or close to it, or will they be wary that there's league quarterfinals semi-finals and finals coming in almost back to back straight after it I think so this is going to be a bloodbath uh, Kilkenny haven't lost or haven't beaten Wexford since David took charge in three games now league last year that Leinster semi-final and the Walsh Cup final I think the fact that Wexford went up to Nolan Park and won in the Walsh Cup final it adds another thing ahead of this match and the fanfare the hype the bandwagon that's following Davy around it's just it's a fascinating fixture. I think it's all about laying down a marker here rather than keeping your hands close to your chest. Davy has plenty of tricks up his sleeve, as does Cody. He has plenty of hurlers still to come back, but Cody will be driving it into them. We lorded it over Wexford for the best part of 20 years there without them getting a sniff. We're not going to let up any ground to these and give them an edge before the championship. Yeah, that that's another key factor in it as well, I suppose. Um, yeah, I suppose the thing with Cody and Davy. They don't like losing. I don't know nobody does, but these two, in particular, they go out to win, to win everything. That's that's why we saw them compete in the Welsh Cup final because they take it seriously from the word go. But um, yeah, it should be should be a good game. Definitely one to look forward to on Sunday. Sure. Um. Then down in Porky Cueve, Watford went down to Cork, and after twenty five minutes, they were um they were level. It was one seven apiece. Seamus Hernady, Hernady dropped a shoulder on Barry Collin, I think it was. Got a red card, deserved red card. He might be facing a ban. And then after that, it was all um well, it was Watford. They won by five points. I, it's I think it's simplistic enough to say that the red card was the difference. You know, it was probably a five point swing overall between two well matched teams up to that. One thing that just uh, one real takeaway for me, having been at Tipperary against Wexford the previous week in Wexford, they have all the hurlers, they had the style, they had the uh, 
like just everything from open play they didn't have a man to hit to place balls morris and chin rotated and hit plenty wides between them patrick corgan and porrick mahoney don't miss i think i don't have the exact number there but i was up in the press box chalking down on my program and you'd almost chalk down horgan's point before he actually rose the ball to strike it you know he's just that reliable and that accurate he dropped one short that was from way out the field inside his own half but apart from that he pointed every single one Mahney the same you know they're just they're guaranteed and that's it just struck me that's what Wexford need but it's some asset for Cork yeah that that's such a huge part of especially I suppose the last few years we've seen championship matches as well be slightly higher scoring teams was getting more points so if you can have a free taker who's almost going to guarantee you eight or ten points a game it's a huge advantage to have and Especially if the opposition have a free taker who's hitting, you know, five out of nine, they're leaving four points out in the field. And with the games as tight as they are in Division One A and as tight as they're going to be in the provincial championship, you know, you need your free taker to be give them one or two because you're not going to go a hundred percent, but you can't really miss any more than that. Sure, um, Watford for Watford, Tyke Debarker was unbelievable. Now I don't know why. Do it was an outrageous point by um by Podrick Walsh the first day in Porky Cueve and it got the rightful praise everything maybe it was Tommy Walsh's commentary on air that evening I don't know whatever but Tyg de Burke got one just as good he caught a ball inside his own rectangle there it was a free from Anthony Nash dropped short he passed it out collected it and sent it over the bar from his own 65 like it was every bit as good as Walsh's point and De Burke was doing that all day, not scoring outrageous points, but catching ball after ball. He was back to his best. And another player who was playing super hurling as well was Austin Gleason. I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, De Burke, I think, did get man of the match in the end. Or I'm not too sure about that, actually. Um, Derek McGrath, who we'll hear from in a moment, said after the game he thought he was the standout player. But McGrath was asked gave quite an interesting answer to somebody asked what are they trying to do with Gleason? what's his best position so we did chat about Gleason for a bit ah yeah there is there's well, there is there's, there's debate yeah but I don't I, I, not debate there's there's um, discussion I suppose in terms of you know if you go if you go if you go the natural path of, of when he came into the team he was left half forward against Cork in the championship match of 2014 if you like he played the whole league campaign at right half back when we won the league in 2015. Um, the whole league campaign when we won the league, I said it himself, Tyg and Philip were defending the half back line with Tyg sitting. Um, when Porrick broke his leg, that year we kind of came, not came under pressure, but we felt we, we might benefit from having him inside in the forward. So I think I think what he is, is, is he's an attacking, he's a player that likes to go forward from, from the back, if you like, you know? <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. You know, but I don't think he's a forward, but he's back to goal, like in terms of traditional, in terms of a, a John McGrath, where you get the ball and your back is to the goal. Now. So we just like to get him going forward if we can. But that might mean coming from the back, and that, you know, that sounds an oxymoron. Or, but that's the, we'll see. But I think we, we've given him a kind of a, you know, you know, in fairness to him, like he, 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 you take the, the the first match. I think who did we play in the first was Wexford. He was kind of uh, kind of a free man around the middle. Second match he was centre back outstanding against Tip. Third match he was. Free man around the middle, if you like. And today, he's you know wing back doing a really good job. I thought on Bill Cooper early on, you know, in a kind of a in a more almost kind of instructional role that he was on. Keen Lynch in the first round of the league in 2015 as well. Just you know conceding a bit of space to Bill Cooper every now and again, but tucking in then as well. You know, doing his job. So 
I think if we can keep it simple for a while with him, it'll be it'll be help to all of us. You know? We're building towards a game that works better in the summer. You know, I think, um, and and sometimes when you have not limitations, but when you have, you know, I I would argue that Shami Harney, Conor Lahan, Patrick Horgan, Alan Cadigan will get in any sex in the, in the country. Uh, forwards, you know, and then you have <coughs> Kingston and Mead come into that, and Robbie O'Flynn. Whereas, like you know, I think you know there's there's more powerful forward units around than us at the moment. But we'll build towards trying to get what we can out of our lads in terms of the best policy going forward, and and we won't be stored on it. You know, I think that's you have to be pragmatic enough to to realise that. You know, uh, the other Division One A game of the weekend was Tipperary versus Kilkenny in front of ten thousand people below in Nolan Park. Just actually a, a side note there, um, uh, very quickly conscious we're caught on time is the attendances at division 1a games over the weekend there there was ten and a half thousand in parky cueve there was ten and a half thousand in nolan park and just shy of eight thousand in wexford park like if the product is good people are going to come you know and i'm not buying into the argument about the new championship structures that oh there's more games so people won't come if they're competitive meaningful games week in week out people are going to come you follow the league structure look at the league 30,000 is serious numbers for three games in the league like you know and that's without one bumper crowd for instance in like in the football in Crow Park will get 20 30,000 and the rest of the grounds might only get four or five like massive crowd and hurling people are coming out to see top class hurling we're going to get onto the action Tip and Kilkenny like they tip had seven changes Kilkenny had six changes from the week before so it wasn't they weren't either at full strength but Kilkenny obviously got the win but who's happier like Michael Ryan kind of already stated here look they look to be into a league quarter final barring a freak run of permutations do you think they're happy enough I'm they're content anyway you know for the for the changes they made it was a great experience for the younger guys coming in. Joe, good atmosphere down in Orland Park. Big crowd, as you mentioned. Um, after coming back, obviously they did very well to come back after conceding the, the goal at the start of the second half. But um, you'd love to have seen them complete the comeback and when they got back and levelled it later on to push on and win the match. So that's something that maybe Michael Ryan will want them to work on. But um, yeah, he, he won't. I don't think he'll be shedding any tears losing that game by just a point. Cody will be delighted. I think they needed that win. Similar to Watford, Watford needed to get a win on the board. Um, even if they end up in a relegation playoff, I don't think that would be the end of the world for either team. But you want to, we don't want to keep on coming back to Kildare footballers, but you don't want to be sitting on zero points this late into the season. So I think I think both managers will be content that they've learnt a lot. And um, I think going forward, they'll, they'll have a better idea of what they want to do in the summer after last Sunday. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think both teams are probably safe looking at it. Watford are there, um, are in the relegation playoff, unless they win by a million points. Like you know, their the points difference has just uh, decided that for them, and then Cork still have to go up to Tipperary and beat Tip. That's a big, big ask for them, and then even still, that doesn't certainly guarantee them. You have to look around at other results. So, it could well be Cork against Watford in that playoff, but I think looking ahead to next weekend. The game of the weekend is down in Salt Hill. Galway and Limerick are both four out of four. They're going up against each other and it's essentially a playoff. The winner goes up uh, into Division 1A next year. Yeah, and Limerick have been down there for long enough. Um, and Of all the 1B matches they've had, this is certainly the toughest against the reigning All-Ireland champions in Galway as well. 
But um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of Galway have kind of gone in there under the radar a bit. You know, they've been slowly but surely bringing the All Ireland team back. We all don't know who's tried out a lot of new players. Whereas I think Limerick are putting up bigger scores, so it's kind of they've been more to the in the limelight as much limelight as you get in one B because just like they scored three twenty one at the weekend, put a big score over Leash, beat Dublin convincingly as well in a live televised match. So um, it's been going good for Limerick so far. Um, if it's a draw on Sunday, actually Limerick have the better points difference, which is something that because I think they've lost out in points difference before, they've come close. So uh, that's something that I'm sure. I've, it mightn't be a draw now, but I'm sure something that John Coyle can say, look, we've been putting up big scores all year. The Cole Post and Saltill are the same size. Go out there and try and do that again. But um, yeah, it's going to be really tough. Galway, they'll probably be close now to full strength because they might, they might only have two more games for the championship, so they want to get everyone back involved. But uh, no, all the makings of a cracker. Yeah, I was going to ask a question who's it a bigger game for but I think it answers itself Limerick have been down there since 2010 they went down they had a player strike in 2010 and they had a Mickey Mouse team out for the league who just weren't up to top tier hurling division one or division one it was called yeah. at the time now we're A or B they went up one year did they beat Clare in 2012 was it the, the first year so 2011 they beat Clare in the final and there was, changed a, the goal post. There, was, there was a restructure that Frank Murphy wouldn't have put up with but they managed to keep Limerick down. Um, then there was a few weird things like Limerick topped Division 1B or 2, whatever they called it. They topped it one year, but had to play a final and lost the final to Dublin. Then they got rid of the final, then Limerick started coming second. So it was um, it's been, I suppose, frustrating as a Limerick man for the last couple of years. But uh, It would be a statement win for them as well if they yeah. went up and beat the All-Ireland Champions. And it's a really it's a test of their credentials for me ahead of the summer okay we know they can go out and they can hammer Dublin and Offaly and Leash and Antrim well done you know we're talking about Limerick on the back of a few under 21 All-Irelands as real monster contenders All-Ireland contenders and here they're not a team of the future anymore they should just have to go out and do it and this is a massive test for them going up against the All-Ireland champions gonna have to leave it there unfortunately because we are running out of time but thanks very much for listening and do subscribe on soundcloud itunes etc wherever you get your podcast we'll be there we'll be back next week uh, so enjoy the coming weekend's action as long as the snow holds off and we'll be back next week